Let's have prayer as we get started. Yes, okay. Loving Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this weekend's meetings, the opportunities to share together, to study together, to seek you together. And we just pray right now that you will send your Holy Spirit to us again, that you'll guide our minds and that you will lead us as you see fit, that you will prepare us for Christ's soon return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you weren't here this morning, I just remind you that my name is John Torquato. I'm a family physician with an office up in Hayden, Idaho, and an office in Mead, Washington. Interesting, the two cities that Pastor Cablano pastored uh, before he retired. And this is my friend, Pastor Wayne Cablano. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, Wayne Cablano. I uh, have been retired for four years. <laughs> and But I pastored... Uh, in the Northwest, as well as in California, and um, planted a couple of churches. But for the last 18 years, I've enjoyed a team ministry uh, together with Dr. Chiquano, and uh, we've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from him, and uh, we've grown a lot together. And we want to share a few things that we have learned and some of the passions on our heart for our church here this afternoon. So um, Pastor Cablan and I have a special place in our heart for this one big concern, and that is the power, the transformative power that is available through this pastor-physician relationship. It is a, a God-inspired, Spirit of Prophecy-endorsed uh, model of, of connection that, helps, that is supposed to help the church to have power to see through those last days. And we believe that that is somewhat, um, uh, uh, how will I say, modulated. It's not as strong as it should have been uh, because of things that have happened long before any of our time. But we wanted to talk about uh, some of the aspects of that relationship. And do you know how to make that I work? I don't know how that's it's not working somehow. Okay, so what happens if I go like that? That's, that's the... What is that? Your, uh, oh, that's that. Okay, what about this? No, that didn't work. That's, there we go. Okay. Is that too much? No, that was it. Because I'm not able to get it to go back. Uh, oh, there it is. All right, so try that now. So we're just going to read through a couple okay. of these. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to read through a couple of these um, uh, texts that talk about the unity that God would have us have as a people and the potential of the unity in this pastor-physician relationship that we uh, are encouraging. Go ahead. So John 17, verse 23, I'm sure it's a passage that we all know, maybe by heart. It says, I in them. That's the key. Jesus in us. That is uh, essential. It, 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 uh, there's nothing that can happen without that. I in them and you in me, that they may be per made perfect in one. That perfection in unity cannot happen unless Jesus 
is living out his life within each and every one of us. And before you go farther, to, start to speak a little more on this topic. Yeah, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so that demonstration of unity demonstrates that there is some miraculous power at work within the church. It's the power of God in our lives. When you think of the fact that people do not expect to get along, there, oftentimes people recognize that there's divisions that happen amongst us naturally. And for us to see a way to uh, get around those divisions that are natural, it seems, in our natures, it seems that that, that is what God is using to make his point that they will know that uh, I have come. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This is only possible if our mind and our judgment is in the same Jesus. You see, as we come to together with a judgment and as a mind that is like Christ, well, then we'll be in the same mind. We're not subjecting one mind against another in human terms. We're all subject to Jesus. So we want to start it off this afternoon with talking about this unity as being the goal. This is, this is really um, what God is looking for in his people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you, how many of you? All of you, be of one mind, having, notice this, having what? Having compassion for one another. What does compassion mean? Empathy, love, wanting to serve, having, wanting to help, having a compassionate heart, a one mind for one another. Love as brothers, be trans, uh, tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. That ye, and notice the result, the blessing that we get, that you may inherit a blessing. I don't know about you, I can't afford to go without God's blessings. I must have them. Having compassion for one another. Now, we're talking about the pastor-physician relationship. And so we're talking about our relationship with each other. And I can say this, that Dr. Turquato is one who has compassion for me. And Pastor Cablano has compassion, tender-hearted, and loves as a brother towards me. And this brings us to the quotation that you've heard already several times in this seminar. But we want to bring it to you again, and we want to try to unpack this statement. Uh, a little bit for you. Medical Ministry, page 241 
My brethren, the Lord calls for unity or oneness. You know, there it is, the definition of unity is oneness. We are to be one in faith. I want to tell you that when the gospel ministers and the medical missionary workers are not united, there is placed on our churches the worst evil that can be placed there. Our medical missionaries ought to be interested in the work of our conferences, and our conference workers ought to be as much interested in the work of our medical missionaries. That was in 1904. We want to try to under, unpack what it means for that worst evil. What is the worst evil? What's it, what's, what evil comes upon the church as a result of that separation? And then also, what's the blessing that happens in response to reducing that worst evil? Yes, that's where we want to end. So let's start off with what are some of the possibilities, the positive. Let's look at the positive first before we look at the negative. Uh, job descriptions. So again, we're talking about a pastor-physician relationship. Really, they're not I'm just talking about pastors and physicians. Pastors and physicians really only stand for, they're kind of iconic for their own field of interest and labor. So, for instance, the pastors are basically representing all gospel workers, all church workers. They represent everybody that would be involved in sharing the gospel ministry with, uh, of Jesus Christ with people, interested in salvation directly. The physician represents all health workers, anybody interested in health. It doesn't matter whether, you know, whatever your, your designation, if you have a health interest, say you're a cook, say you're a massage therapist, maybe a dentist, uh, uh, a, a nurse, they're all under the same categories. It's just that the pastor physician is kind of like, because they, they this keeps shutting down, huh? Yeah, that's all right. Try this one? All right. Because the, the pastor-physician um, uh, connection represents whatever is, is generally in their field. Um, as a physician is generally in charge of whatever is in his field of, of labor, he's generally in charge of that. The pastor generally is in charge of his field of labor. Uh, that's what we're trying to include, be inclusive of. The job description of the physician in this relationship. I lost it testing. again. No, this is working. Okay. Well, we'll just go like this. How, how about that? <laughs> we'll get something out of this. So I wonder if it's the battery. Here we got some help. It will cut out if you hold it at the bottom. Oh, well, I'm glad you told me that. Thank you so much. Okay. It was our fault. Now we know. <laughs> so the job description of the physician in the pastor-physician relationship, in the health ministry gospel relationship, is to help the pastor stay practical. Is to have a practical, hands-on blessing to provide in the ministry of the gospel. The job description of the pastor in the pastor-physician relationship is to keep the physician focused on the gospel. 
Because oftentimes, when you're out there doing something physical for somebody, you can be easily uh, distracted from the ultimate purpose of why you're doing it. And the ultimate purpose of all that we do is helping, to, helping people to know Jesus. So it's helpful to have those job descriptions very clearly outlined. And we know that that's a very positive outcome that can come from this relationship. And I can say that Dr. John has helped me to keep focused and connected to my community. And, and that's been the practical part. And Pastor Cablano has given me unnumbered opportunities to minister the gospel. In times when I have forgotten to spend time with my patient directly in prayer, Pastor Cablano will come in and pray with me. Do you know what that does to me? Lifts my strength and helps me to focus again towards the end point of helping people know the gospel. The other part that's very uh, possible here is... Pastors and physicians or healthcare workers and gospel workers will often enter into an environment where they're working in the same location. I call it just punching the same clock. They're just doing the same routine things, but they're doing it together in the same environment. And that's what I call the routine, the mundane, the everyday. But it is possible in this relationship to leave the mundane and everyday uh, kind of thing and enter into a higher level of service, which I call the miraculous. And the miraculous level of service comes when I am truly concerned about a person who's also concerned about Jesus' outcome of saving souls. I count it to be like David and his mighty men. Oh, if I could just have a taste of the waters of the well of Bethlehem. The mighty men were not even told that was necessary. But in their capacity as warriors, they broke through the enemy lines, taking their lives at risk, dipped a, a flask of water from that, and drove right out through those lines again and handed that to David, who demonstrated his worthiness for that water by pouring it out before the Lord demonstrating, I am not worthy of the sacrifice you have provided because you have done more than I could have asked you to. You did it out of love and you did it out of devotion. What those mighty men did were miraculous acts, of, miraculous feats of wonder. You know, when you talk about David, uh, uh, when you talk about uh, 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 Jonathan and his armor bearer, Let's go up to those Philistines and show ourselves and let's see if the Lord will work upon us. And the armor bearers say, yes, do what you choose to and I will be with you. And as a result of the two going forward, suddenly the Lord shook the earth and the Philistine garrison fell before them. And all of Israel chased after the Philistines started by one group of two in a partnership. That's where you leave the routine and you enter into the miraculous. And that's where the, the benefits of the relationship of friendship and devotion to one another in unity begins. It takes a commitment, a very strong commitment. Now, the thing about what's possible is to build a relationship. Because in the pastor-physician kind of relationship, it's kind of like an arranged marriage. You know, I mean, you didn't necessarily go out and say, oh, that's a good one. Let's go check that one out. No, it's not like that. You happen to be in the same area. The Lord put you together. And so how do you build a relationship? Well, you build a relationship by being relatable, being trustworthy, being kind, generous, 
Now, how would that relationship develop if one pointed to the other in judgmental uh, fashion and said, you did this, this, that, 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 and looked down upon the person? Or what if, what if that relationship was built around the fact that um, uh, somebody was, was gossiping in the background about the other, or, or somebody was um, undermining the influence of somebody does that build relationship? No, 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 it doesn't build relationship. That tears relationship down. Instead, to build it up is to be the opposite, a faithful friend, somebody who doesn't run away from problems, that, that doesn't find ways to get out of things, but stays engaged to figure things out. That is a possible thing that most people won't do, that is unusual to do. And so... Uh, that's what's possible in this kind of relationship. And this is really the, the baseline is how to find trust. The way to find trust, how to build trust, is to find somebody who's trustworthy and then spend time with them. Well, ultimately, who is that? Jesus, that's right. And if we've spent time with Jesus and he is trustworthy and we've built trust, then we're in the environment that we can have trust with his co-workers that have also worked with him. So we want to look at some of the barriers to unity between gospel and medical workers. What are some of those barriers that cause the division that we have uh, so painfully experienced and seen among us? And so we want to look at those. We want to kind of, you know, Look at reality within, within ourselves. And in, in looking at these barriers, we're not pointing the finger at anybody. We're pointing the finger at ourselves. Yeah. Because we've been there. That's how we know what the barriers are. Okay? Um, first of all, Satan hates the true interpretation of the gospel. He has done everything he can to destroy it. If you've read any of the history of medical missionary work, you know that it's been shut down time and time and time again through the history of the St. Davis Church. Satan hates it. Why? because of this statement right here. Review and Herald, March 4, 1902. The Lord will give you success in his work, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When, that's interesting, it's not just the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, there's a, there's a condition when it is interwoven with the practical life when it is lived and practiced. And here's a definition of that, what, what it means by lived and practiced. The union of Christ-like work for the body and Christ-like work for the soul is the true interpretation of the gospel. And so that's why Satan has tried to divide the gospel and the medical workers because he hates the gospel. He hates the true interpretation of the gospel. 
He knows by bringing that division, he can destroy the work of God on earth. And so we want the true interpretation of the gospel, which includes Christ-like work for the body as well as Christ-like work for the soul. And just to make a note here, if you don't have Christ-like work for the body mixed with Christ-like work for the soul, do you still get an interpretation of the gospel? The answer is yes. You still get an interpretation of the gospel. You still get what you think is the true, but it is partial. It is not complete. And therefore, we can sometimes be mollified to feel like, oh, I'm fine. I'm getting everything that I need, but not realize what we're missing. Yeah, if it's not true, then it's got to be, I'll let you, Careful. I'll, let you, I'll let you fill in the blank on that one. Okay. Some of the barriers between the gospel and medical workers. Cash, credit, control. And when we talk about these things, what we're trying to do is we're trying to break it down to real things that really happen within human existence here in the church. When we're talking about barriers to this, we're not talking about barriers from the outside in. We're talking about barriers from the inside in. We're talking about the difficulties that come between pastors and physicians and, and people at conference levels and people in healthcare. Uh, it's everybody's looking for something themselves. And often the divisions are based on this. It has to do with wanting for themselves or, or, or to manage the cash that comes from the thing, the credit that comes, or the control. And remember, in each one of these areas, they're a problem area that could actually cause a demise of medical missionary work. So, cash, inequality between the fat pastor and the physician, there's an unequal, unequal income, lifestyle, level of education, and opportunities, which naturally leads to associating with different social groups and activities, and therefore feelings of intimidation can develop. The question to ask is, is it supposed to be like this? Isn't there something in the spirit of prophecy that says this is not supposed to be a problem? There are elements within the spirit of prophecy that fixes this whole issue of the desire for cash or the issue of inequality. And so if you do a study of the spirit of prophecy, you'll see that she outlines how that is to happen with our institutional workers. But early in our history, we've taken a deviation, one to another, one way and another, that has caused this worst evil to begin as a root cause, one of the root causes of the division that has occurred. Another one is pride and selfishness, or you might say credit. Who gets the credit? You know, the pastor, Here's words of appreciation week after week after he preaches. And it is only natural for him to start having a sense of pride regarding his sphere of ministry. And the physician, likewise, hears words of appreciation day as, uh, daily as he helps people get well, with, uh, nat which uh, naturally 
fosters a sense of pride regarding his fear of ministry. The problem too often erupt when the two fears of ministry begin to overlap and intersect. When the doctor's sphere and the pastor's fear come together, where do they come together at? At the church level. Then we often see conflict arising. And you remember the issue was the issue of unity, the concept of unity. And what was the outcome of this concept of unity? The purpose of the unity was that the world may know that God sent me into this world. And so these are two people that are generally in charge of their own spheres of influence who expect to get the credit for what they've done, if you will. And so pride and selfishness steps in. And this is why by the relationship that is friendly between us, that is selfless because of friendship, that's why you can leave the realm of, of routine and mundane and enter the realm of miraculous because this becomes no longer an issue where you don't worry about pride and selfishness degrading the relationship or the tasks being done. The opposite of pride and selfishness or the credit is to, to be, have a, a heart of service. I want to serve you. I want to bless you. And I can't tell you how many times, in fact, it's almost every time I talk to John on the phone, he always says, how can I help you before we leave? How can I help you? What can I do for you? He has that attitude of service, and um, it's, it's been a tremendous blessing. And just to go a little further on this, in the pastor's life and in the physician's life, we live in parallel worlds, oftentimes hugely involved in ministry of our own, oftentimes under tremendous pressure, often with huge expectations, often with, uh, with the requirement of immediate response, oftentimes with our families that have received the consequence of our ministry, either for the good or for the bad, oftentimes in a fishbowl of what people are looking into and making judgment on. We live parallel lives. And because of that, we could easily say, you don't know what it's like to be me. <laughs> but indeed, the Lord has put us together for a reason, because we have a very similar purpose just a different task, if you will. So let me talk to you a little bit more about this, this pride and selfishness. So when we're talking about where we get the credit and where does this worst evil come from, how do you define it? Well, when I think about the worst evil, I think about the first evil. Remember the first evil? It was before he became Satan or Satan. It was Lucifer, the the son of the morning, who said, I will rise above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. It's who will be the greatest. And this was the foundation of the problem that happened both in the world and in the relationship between the gospel and the health work. Who's more important? How is it that you have this influence in the work I am doing? And vice versa. Keep going. This is also something that caused the disciples to fail. 
You'll remember the disciples had been given the power to heal by Jesus himself. And when they were given the power to heal, he had sent them out alone, two by two, throughout the, the, the cities of Jerusalem uh, uh, cities of Israel. And they had healed, and they had cast out demons, and they had uh, raised the dead, and all the different things they had done. And they came back exalted. They said, even the devils are subject to us. And, God, and Jesus said, you know, don't be so happy about that, but that your names are written in the book of life. And when a man brought his child to these disciples, look what had happened. Throughout the time that they were doing all this work for Jesus, they were complaining about who would be, they were arguing about who would be greatest. And Jesus kept, kept talking to them and said, guys, this is sin. You shouldn't be worried about who is greatest. But they kept arguing about it. In fact, they were walking to the place where Jesus was going to go up on the mountain and be transfigured between the three disciples. And when Jesus picked three of those disciples and went to the top of the mountain, the nine in the valley weren't happy about it. Hey, I'm as good as they are. Why is, why is it that they get the benefit? What is going on here? And the very thing that they had been doing, sinning about who will be greatest, continued. Well, now this man brings his child before the, uh, the disciples. and he, The spirit of prophecy says he had decided before he had come, unless my child is healed, I will not believe. And so he comes and he brings his child before the disciples. And one disciple said, oh, get out of my way, I'll take care of this. Bump, bump, bump. Mm, he failed. And one after another, they all failed to heal the child. And the Pharisees were exultant and happy and, and rejoicing, saying, see, I told you it was a fake in the first place. And the disciples were just totally uh, just crazy with wonder. How could this happen? We were given the power to heal. But what they did not realize is that the Holy Spirit had left them and did not tell them he was checking out. Because of their sin about argument, arguing who would be the greatest. And then when Jesus came down, of course, he healed the boy when the man said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when the disciples asked him later, why couldn't we heal this, this one? Remember the answer of Jesus? It provides great insight. Oh, this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. Oh, you mean this was some super demon that had to be prayed about and fasted about? No. The thing that caused the destruction of their power, the loss of their power, was the selfishness. And that selfishness does not go away without prayer and fasting. So when, when it came down to the, uh, the Last Supper, the, when Jesus instituted the Last Supper and gave the, uh, the foot washing, it was pride that kept the disciples, um, the servants of Christ, from serving each other at the Passover. And they were the rightful ones to do the serving, not Jesus. But Jesus took the place of the servant as their example. In washing their feet, he was not just washing dirt. Ellen White says that he was washing away pride, selfishness, and uh, evil surmising. He was trying to cleanse their hearts. And that's what I need. I need my heart to be cleansed of pride and selfishness and evil surmising.
every day. Guilty. So remember those three. It was uh, cash, credit, credit control. and control. Yes. Here's the third one. Control is largely identical to the issue of pride. Pastors and physicians are typically in control of their ministry environment. The pastor feels that he should control the gospel ministry, and the physician feels he should control the healing ministry. And problems can spring up when these ministries intersect. COVID, if you ask, if you want to get a, a, a current demonstration of that, COVID has demonstrated how pastors and physicians can have different opinion on health care and other issues. And how do you work through that when you have a very powerful belief in a certain area because of your training and understanding? How do you do that when you're facing something that says, no, this doesn't go this way, and somebody else says, no, that doesn't go that way? But if you're united, you work through it. You don't run away from it because it was hard. You don't find a way to transfer doctor to another facility. You know, you don't find a way to, to avoid your pastor. You work through the issue as a friend because discussion might, discussion, that's what friends do. You work through it as friends. And both can grow through that. We can all grow through that. So what is the evil that our churches have suffered from the medical work and the gospel work being separated? We've talked about, you know, what it is that causes pastors and physicians to, to have problems, but what is the evil that comes upon the churches because of that? Well, we've developed a little list here. First of all, Laodiceanism. I believe that because we're separated, it allows the church to fall into an attitude of, hey, we're great, we're okay, just leave us alone. I am rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. In need of nothing, right. I have, the name of I have the name of Christianity without the power thereof. And uh, next one is, is very similar, Phariseeism. We, uh, we have a name that we proclaim that we are going to be like Jesus. But in practice, we're not. Um, formalism. You know, it, and formalism and institutionalism kind of go together. We, the, our churches basically dissolve down into a very formal uh, worship and routine of activity, just going through the same routines week after week after week, month after month, year after year, without really interacting and affecting our community. And when that happens, we stop growing virtually. You know, in the sanctuary, you have a picture of the sanctuary in your mind. In the holy place, there were the uh, candlestick, there was the altar of incense, and there was the showbread. The showbread represents the Word of God. We need to eat the Word of God daily. The, 
the altar of incense represents our prayer life of communing with God. The candlestick represents our witness for Jesus, the Holy Spirit working through us to witness. If we are not involved in witness, we are not going to grow spiritually. We are going to degenerate into a formalistic church. And so the separation of the pastor and the, and the physician basically, to a large degree, limits the impact that we can have in the church, in the community, I should say. And this concept of institutionalism, that's a big word, but what's an example of what that does to the church? Well, what that does is it takes policy and expediency and it makes it law in the church. For instance, hey, look, if we have a disagreement, we will not follow Matthew 18. That's a biblical precedent. That is a biblical guideline. We know that that's what our job is. But they would, no, no, we don't follow that. There are times when we can't follow that when you have large institutions. These do happen. And because of that, institutionalism can take the precedent because it's expedient to do it this way. We have this large organization, so we can't do what the Bible says. Yeah, as well as the fact is we, we delegate to the institution what I should be doing personally in the community, in my witness for Christ. Disunity. We find disunity throughout the ranks of the church. We have to confront it's, I believe, that. as a result of the disunity that largely starts here, because we're a great example of disunity as pastors and physicians. We don't, and I don't say that the disunity is the thing that, uh, between pastors and physicians or the thing that starts it, but it doesn't give the blessing of seeing that unity that would bring us together. That's the, that's the positive side of that, of that issue. Yeah, the, if you read the history of the Adventist church and you read what happened between Kellogg and, and the ministers of the day, that really brought a division. That's where there was major division within the church that started there. Another aspect is politics. Our church, you know, gets tied down into just politics. Um, pride, we've already covered that. Envy. You know, it's, if a physician gets $300,000 a year in income, it, it's easy for the pastor to become envious of that lifestyle. It has to be something that a pastor um, has to just turn over to the Lord. And as a physician, if we're doing this, it's easy for us to not care about the influence we have with our excess. Although we could give much, much to the church, and that's tremendous, what the Lord needs is not a wallet. He needs a minister of the gospel. Right. The worldly ambition is tied into that. Um, you have a lot of money, access, 
money tends to uh, bring worldliness in. Human passion goes without speaking. The wages of Balaam. Oh, yes. So you remember, you know, we're talking about the worst evil. The worst evil. Well, that is essentially a curse upon the people of God. Is there a story someplace in Scripture where somebody was willing to curse the people of God in order to make a buck? Is there a place where somebody was willing to curse the people of God in order to have influence, power, or control over his aspect of his reputation or whatever? You look at Balaam, and Balaam was willing to do this, and he knew that he was doing this, yet he was not outside the church. He was actually brought in because he was inside the church and yet willing to see the people of God cursed. Now, the problem with this is not only what happens to the church. You look at the children of Israel. They had a tremendous downfall as a result of the leadership of Balaam, who was willing to take that money in order to have the influence that he got. But in the end, what happened to Balaam? Balaam died fighting the people of God. And that is the consequence, potential consequence, of somebody who recognizes the possible curse upon God's people and doesn't do anything about it, who doesn't care or doesn't care to try to do anything about it. The latter reign of the Holy Spirit basically has been shut down for the last 130 years because of the division in the church. Um, you read the history of the church and you'll see that um, because they rejected the message of 1888, which during 1888, John Harvey Kellogg was, became a converted man. And he began to, to work in benevolent lines in the community. And because of the, the message of righteousness by faith, combined with the practical work of benevolence in the community, Ellen White said that the loud cry of the latter rain had begun in her name. But we rejected that. We became divided. And so the Holy Spirit has been withdrawn. It's been 130 years. How much longer do we have to wait? How, much, how many more generations have to go to the grave? Do you think that that is enough of an evil upon the church? Do you think these things are worthy of concern to recognize these things have entered into the church to damage the work of God who, who wants to bring the gospel, the, the saving message of Jesus to the world? That is a lot as a curse to bring upon the church. These are the worst, this is the worst evil right here. So if you remember that in ancient Israel, on the Day of Atonement, there was a specific call for the people of God to look into themselves. 
In Leviticus 23, 27 and 29, it states, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls. What does that mean? That means introspection, asking myself, is it me, Lord? It means, do I, am I right with you? Is it okay? Where am I with you right now? You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then 29, for any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. You see, this is the time right now. We are currently in the antitypical day of atonement. We're in the time where God is out there doing this judgment right now. And we, in this point in time, are to afflict our souls and ask ourselves, where do I stand with you, Jesus? I need to repent. Each of us needs to get on our knees and say, Lord, how have I contributed to this division, to this great evil that's come upon our people? And as we realize that God's judgment is now, we believe this as a people, that God is in the sanctuary and there is a certain going through the books that he is doing right now. We realize the time is short and if we see that the worst evil has had any part come into the church because of us, we need to acknowledge it now. We need to, to confess it now. We need to repent of it now because right now is our one opportunity. And you remember the outcomes if we don't. We have the potential to earn the wages of Balaam. And it does not matter who we are as a physician, pastor, or any person underneath that. If we contribute to that knowingly, that is a concern. We are to afflict our souls and ask the Lord. And then, what do you do after you afflict your souls? Well, you go to the great Adventist chapter of the Bible, Isaiah 58. And it says there, to take away the pointing of the finger... To take away the judgment on somebody else. It's his fault. No, it's his. You see, you take this away. And so when you take that away you, and you remove the burdens, this man is burdened for the salvation of souls. And if it's my interest to build him up and strengthen him, I'll lift him so that he doesn't have to take the burden alone. This is the work of Isaiah 58. And it says, when you have done this, then your light shall break forth in the morning. You see, this is the kinds of things that are necessary for us right now as a people of God to go forward in repentance. And these are the benefits, potentially, that we will receive as we see in Isaiah 58. So the question is, do we reveal Jesus in the way that we relate to one another as physicians and pastors? And I'll make it wider than that. Do we, we, do we reveal Jesus in the way we relate to one another as health workers of any type and gospel workers of any type. That's right. That's the key. Is Jesus living out his life within us? And I have to say, you know, uh, you know, I have to get on my knees and ask the Lord to forgive me time and time again. What does God want from us? Here it is. Christ's Optic Lessons, page 69 a passage that we all know probably by heart. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself 
in his church. When the character of Christ shall be how well produced? Perfectly re reproduced in his people. Then, I like that, if, then, or when, then, he shall come to claim them as his own. You know, when you consider the fact that he has made an audacious statement to heaven, I can take a generation, not one like Enoch, not, not maybe two, but I can take an entire generation and make them safe for eternity while they live without passing through death. I can take that entire generation and bring them to heaven. And you can imagine heaven looking and say, you know, it hasn't gone so well so far. You know, I don't know about this. Is that a really okay? And you're going to have them share your throne? Are you serious about this? I'm not sure. He has made an audacious statement, and the evil one has said, you cannot do it. You are not capable, God, of bringing an entire generation because you've given them free choice, and therefore they're like trying to herd cats. You're nowhere. You're gonna, one of them is going to slip through. And it says here, when God's, when his character is perfectly reproduced. And how can we see the start of that? The very nidus of infection, the beginning of where that happens is in this relationship between the health and the gospel. When you put that together, that becomes the beginning, the source, the possibility of this outcome of character reproduction like the character of Jesus. And so you have to ask the question, when God pours out his Holy Spirit in the uh, latter rain, he is giving his, his um, stamp of approval. And his power. And power upon the witness of those people. Is he going to empower an incomplete gospel? Is he going to empower people that that have maybe a false gospel, a wrong gospel. No, it has to be a combined. It must be representing the fullness of Jesus and his character. So what would it take to have a revival between our medical personnel and our pastors? What would that take? You know, I see some, I see signs of that happening, popping up all over the place. And I praise the Lord for that. So prayer is one that would take. Um, the loud cry of the latter rain was started, but has been shut down. Why? Because division, who will be the greatest? We need to get down on our knees and say, Father, forgive me, and John, you forgive me for trying to take the credit, cash credit or, or control. control. And the same thing as our, as our health workers, we need to be on our knees and begging God for forgiveness for not allowing the full work to be done both in our lives and through the excellence and the, the purpose of people he has placed in ministry that we should be totally connected with and have not been. Remember the example of the disciples who lost the ability to heal 
due to their sin of seeking ascendancy. And so we need to keep our eyes upon Jesus and put him first. Because if we don't, if we imbibe in that attitude of who gets the credit, pride, selfishness, we will lose. The church will lose, will continue to lose. And so we want to give a call to repentance. And we're calling ourselves Amen. to repentance. Yes. And we're calling the church as a whole to join with us. You want to do? Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, lead each esteem others better than himself. Look each of you, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, and even death on the cross. Self must be crucified. We must have the mind of Christ. And we would never do that without the love of God. You know, as, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to marry a number of people, and I've learned that this passage and the next one we're going to look at are the two keys, which basically say the same thing. These hold the keys to a happy marriage. That they hold the keys to a happy relationship between anybody, whether it be husband and wife, whether it be doctor, pastor, whether it be, uh, you know, any, anybody. These passages hold the keys. And here's the next one, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have lived long enough to realize that when Wayne Cablano gets his feelings hurt, it's because Wayne Cablano is alive. That gives me the red flag, I need to die. Self needs to be put on the cross with Christ again. Because a dead person can't get hurt, okay? And so when you realize that if somebody wants to do you harm or 
even they inadvertently do you harm. Jesus allowed that to happen. Jesus knew that was going to happen. And Jesus gave the permission for that to happen. He didn't cause it to happen, but he gave the permission for it to happen. And we realize, when we realize that fact, we can turn our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, you have something for me to, get, to learn out of this. You know, the, the thing about this whole concept, nothing comes to us in relationship or in work. Nothing comes to us except through the merciful hand of God. The Bible says all things. How many things? All. All things. Even the bad things, even the hard things, even the things I don't like. All things work together for what? For good. Good. Oh, really? To what group of people? To those who... Love. Love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. If you count yourself in that, you can be assured that whatever has come to you has passed through the hand of God for your good. And just like Job didn't like the fact that God allowed it, in the end, you see the glory of going through that as Job did. God himself pointed the entire universe's attention to one man and his faithfulness. There was no other time in Job's entire life probably that all of the attention of the universe was more focused on him than when he was suffering in that circumstance. And if we consider ourselves suffering, then we are glorified that God would give us the opportunity to suffer with him. And when you work towards being united in ministry and uh, you work in the medical missionary lines, you are stepping into Satan's crosshairs. And you know that you're going to experience some very difficult experiences. You don't know when, it, when it'll come, but it will come. And it may not come from outside. It may very well come from inside. That's right. And so you need to prepare yourself by saying, I need to die today and every day. And when you get hurt, realize, uh, Jesus, you allowed that to happen. Um, it came from you, and I commit myself to you and not take it personally. Another call is John 3, 16, uh, 3, uh, 3 through 6. Jesus answered and said to him, you know this is story of Nicodemus. He said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What we are talking about is a new birth experience. Amen. That's right. Daily, our church, ourselves, everyone, we need to be born again. Amen. Daily. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You can't modify the flesh and make it good. It has to die. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You can't be born again without dying first. It's like you can't experience the resurrection power of Christ without first experiencing the death of self with Christ. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Remember what he said on the cross? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. To love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And who is more your friend than those who are entered into ministry under the Savior, whether they be gospel workers or healthcare workers? Those are your friends. Yeah. So as pastors, we need to learn to love the physicians. And physicians, as Jesus loved us. And physicians need to know the same, that we actually are concerned about our pastors in such a way, or our gospel workers, Bible workers, whatever, in the same exact manner. Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, another passage that is very familiar. <clears throat> in regard to the Laodicean message, Jesus is appealing to us, and uh, it's not a, not a popular appeal. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. Amen. And so the call to repentance is a call from Jesus. It's a call to the Seventh-day Adventist Church today because we are the Laodicean Church. So we want to end with a promise. What if we respond positively to that call and Jesus comes in and eats with us and sups with us? What is the promise Thus the Savior has bound together the work of preaching the truth and healing the sick. And we are to never divorce them. Christ's blended ministry and healing. And there is Christ's blended ministry and healing. And there is to be no more separation in our work than there was in his there was no separation in his work. There is no to, not to be any separation in ours. There is to be no division between medical missionary work and the gospel ministry. Medical ministry, missionary work, is to be to the third angel's message. Not, not just to a location, but we're talking to God's whole message. To the third angel's message is the right arm to the body. Both are to work in harmony 
then the salvation of the Lord will be revealed. I like that. Then. When we are united, then. There's the, the condition and the blessing, the promise of the results of that blessing. Then the salvation of the Lord will be revealed. What does that mean? I believe it means what Revelation 18 and verse 1 describes. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. That great authority is great power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the latter reign of the Holy Spirit. It's the loud cry. This is what this verse is, is predicting. And it says, And the earth was illuminated with his glory. Whose glory? Well, in the context, it's the glory of the angel. What does the angel represent? God's people. It, the church. And so the church is to be illuminated with the glory of God. The character of Jesus will be revealed through the church. That's why his character must be revealed through us. Jesus, my prayer that Jesus will be uplifted in our world through our church. That Jesus will be seen in his fullness, not just partitioned off one way or the other, but totally united, you have the true interpretation of the gospel. So we want to call you to action as we close. We want to follow the example of Jesus who put teaching, preaching, and healing as his method, as the work that he did, his divinely inspired method. We want pastors and physicians to commit to being unified together, to support one another, and to work together in spreading the gospel. And for us as church members to make that commitment that as we represent a portion of the pastor and a portion of the physician, as we represent healthcare workers and gospel workers, that we will make the commitment to support each other and work with the other. One of the worst things that could happen is to neglect. It doesn't have to even be nasty to one another. It just means to be neglectful of a full message. And we're calling us to be together in this at every level. We must stop departmentalizing. Compartmentalizing, departmentalizing. Yeah. So, health workers, we must ask ourselves if we are really helping to complete the gospel commission. This is how we know whether our health work will make a difference as we heal somebody by a 
a stop smoking clinic, as we help somebody with a CHIP program, as we give somebody a diabetes reversal program, as we help somebody with depression recovery, or in a clinical setting, we give somebody a therapy or a treatment, something. When we look at what we're doing moment by moment and ask, all right, so how is this helping to complete the Gospel Commission? Then we'll be able to answer the question, are we really working in unity with the pastors? Because that is their interest. Are we connecting somehow where that message is unified? Pastors or church members that work with the pastors, ask yourself if you are following the example of Jesus, teaching, preaching, and healing. Are you giving the true interpretation of the gospel? Or are you just out there teaching the doctrines? Are you ministering to the people, to their needs, to their hurts, to their hearts? Christ-like work for the body as well as Christ-like work for the soul. So we've pretty much come to the end of our presentation, but we wanted to take a moment before we completed entirely and kind of do a little bit of a round table. Just go to ask each person here if you have a comment or if you have a question. And so if you guys don't mind, I'm going to just start right here. And if you don't, just say pass. But I'm going to give every one of you the opportunity to say a comment or a question. This is very wonderful. And one thing that our church is trying to do is to reach our community. Um, we don't have any physicians. There are several of us healthcare workers, you know. Um, and we've been... I love the part of, of working with the pastor, and it's enlightened me. The programs we're doing right now aren't necessarily um, medical, but helpful. I mean, you know, how to grow your garden, how to grow your, um, it, yeah. It's all how, part of. How to do canning and stuff like that, preserve your stuff. and. We are working very closely with the pastor, but it, it's just, it helps me to know, oh, I need to build him up more, you know? Yes. And we try to work, you know, in unity, but yeah, I love it. Yes, I was curious as to how you all practically do that on a day-by-day -day basis, because you have a practice, and do you pastor come in and work with him as far as with patients and then vice versa when you're doing a, a meeting or something like that or doing Bible studies, do you join him with that as well practically? Go ahead. You, you address that. So the thing that's going to be interesting about what your question is, and your question was how do you actually do this interaction? Well, first of all, what you see here is one example. Everywhere we go, we go together, and I don't say everywhere, but I'm often asking when I'm invited to speak, oh my, can my pastor come? And my pastor often says, hey, would you come and, and participate? So, you know, I'm all, we're dragging each other into the ministry together. But in addition to that, we have to recognize the principle that it's going to look different for every group. For every different group is going to have a different presentation. You have different people with different backgrounds and understanding. But the principle is always the same. Are you dedicated to figuring out in the context of your environment 
in those that you're dealing with? Are you dedicated to working together and lifting one another up? So in our ways, we have done several things. We have, well, he asked to get a free clinic started in his church. I did that. Um, there was another time when I took summer off to do evangelism, doing a lifestyle change program in a place far from my home because that's where he was going. So the free clinic, let me just back up to the free clinic because it was just, what, a couple of times a month, uh, one evening, a couple of times a month. But I was the... Um, greeter. The greeter at the door. And so everybody who came through the door to the clinic, I got, got acquainted with. And um, just one example, one little story. There was a lady that came, and, and she didn't want, you know, you, you do, even if it was at the church, she came, but she didn't want anything to do with the spiritual aspects of, of, of the ministry. She was very antagonistic. She was, she was very uncooperative. Um, one of the key factors that we had was that there had to be a church member that would commit themselves to being with that patient every time that patient came and being in touch with that past patient and basically being a health coach to that patient. And so this lady that was connected to her, she was just frustrated. She was saying, this lady can't, and she doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't want to hear about God. She doesn't want to drink the water that, uh, you know, she, she hates water. She, she doesn't want to cooperate with any of the, the changes that we're suggesting. And um, so one, one time she came, and I was greeting, and we had a table of, of literature and, and books like Great Controversy and Desire of Ages. And what was happening in the, in the life of the volunteer while they were waiting for this person to come in? Yeah, the volunteer was, was praying for the person. Praying for what? For the, her to open up her heart to God. And to receive at least some literature. Yeah. And so this one day, she, this uh, lady came through the door, and um, she walked over to the table where the literature was and put her hand on the book Desire of Ages. And I said, Take it. Cheers. She picked it up, tucked it under her arm, and went in and uh, had her visit with you, and, and uh, you encouraged her to read it, and um, the volunteer lady also encouraged her to read it. She came back a month later, and when she came back a month later, you have to understand, this lady struggled with depression deeply. She came back a month later, and if I didn't know any better, it, it looked like she just floated through the door. I mean, her, her face was a beam of light. And the first words that came out of her mouth was, that book cured my depression. In one month, she had not only read the entire book, and underlined every scripture and, and opened the Bible to her 
grandkids and reading the scriptures. It just, you know, and so this is a lady that would have never come to an evangelistic meeting. But because we opened up a free clinic in the church, she came and she accepted Christ. And that's just one story. I mean, we could go on and on with, with stories we had. He has a medical clinic inside the church that we built in Spokane. Okay? So every week, he sees people from the community, patients from the community, in the Adventist church in North Spokane. And they walk into the church having never been in the Adventist church before. Some of them are looking around and saying, boy, you guys have always scared me. I wondered what you were. But I see this is not such a bad place. Uh, what time on Sunday is your worship service? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, I don't know if we're answering your question. You know, it, it takes a... This didn't happen overnight. As I say, we've been working together for 18 years. And it's just been trial and error and, and growing and understanding and, and working until, you know, uh, some things have come together. And it's things like this, actually, where you guys have hosted this kind of thing that makes that trial and error have an opportunity so that somebody else can stand on our shoulders and not have to repeat our mistakes. But instead, you guys can make your own mistakes. Okay, um, for me, it would... It'll just be a comment. Yeah. Um, you know, something over Pastor Coblano said. Just yesterday, um, someone told me that someone that I know very closely, or not that closely, but someone who I care very much about, said some really like mean things about me. And this was someone who I felt I have only shared love with, someone who I truly care for, yet they, they hurt me in a sense, you know? And I started wondering, like, how is it that you could only care and love someone, yet that person is willing to, like, hurt you in return? And then I just kind of thought, man, is that what they did to Christ? Is that what they did? Is that what they really did to Christ? And I felt emotions of, kind of hatred towards that person. Like, that was my natural instinct. But then I, I thought of Christ, and I was like, wow. They did that to Christ, yet he didn't. He didn't open his mouth. Amen. So what you said about when you're hurt, then that means that self is still alive, and we need to die to self. So that really resonated with me. So. Amen. You know, I know we're very close to being done. I just want to give one opportunity. Does anybody back there have a comment or thought? Because I'll bring this right back to you right now. There we go. You're coming back there. Go ahead, Wayne. Bring it back to them. We want to make sure, because I saw these three of you were sitting in here the whole time, and I want to give you the opportunity to either have a comment or question, and then we'll close it. Yeah, so I just wanted to ask, um, uh, just as far as someone, I know you mentioned someone who was, antagonistic uh, to, to the Bible coming in. Um, have you, uh, how are you able to communicate um, for, for someone who does not, who just doesn't want anything spiritual? Have you had any experiences where you've still carried them through a program or, 
or treated them? And uh, what, what, is, what is that like interacting with people of other faiths or, or non-faiths? You remember that our clinics are not built for Seventh-day Adventists. Our clinics are built with people that are in the community, and many of them are hostile to Adventists. Some of them hate Adventists, actually. And when I tell them that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, they go, you know, and then they, because we've been so kind to them and so careful of them. And so what you're asking is, how is it that we live our lives? Because that's a day-by-day experience. And there's whole classes I could give to you on how to interact with people on a way that helps to draw them to Christ winsomely, to give them the gospel slowly, you know, in order to understand how to open that heart. But if nothing else, it's Christ's method alone. He came alongside as when desiring their good. He met their needs. He showed his sympathy. He won their confidence, and then he bade them follow me. So that's the answer. Thank you so much. Good enough. Talk to him more afterwards. He can give you a lot more information about it. Why don't you lead us in prayer? Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for much, so much for this time together. We ask your blessing on these uh, principles that we've shared. Help us to, to grow together in oneness and in unity that we may serve you with wholeness. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.